0: Hello and thanks for downloading this podcast. My name is Karen Killalee. I am a partner and head of the employment team at Maples and Calder, Ireland, the Maples Group's law firm in Dublin. Before we jump into today's subject, just the usual housekeeping. If you are listening in from your usual podcast app, you'll find any resource documents and speaker bio information in the description If you've clicked on the media player link sent to you by email, you can find this information in the notes section. As always, this podcast contains an overview of the matters we're discussing, in this case, environmental, social and governance issues, and the considerations that employers in Ireland should be aware of. This is an area that is quickly becoming a priority for our clients as new and complex areas of employment law emerge, but it does not constitute legal advice. And if you do have a specific situation or question, please do seek tailored legal advice. Last but not least, don't forget to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify or Google podcasts to our Maples Irish Employment Law Series. So I'm joined by Kieran Lungig again today, who is an associate on the employment team here at Maples. And as mentioned, we are looking at the topic of ESG and the considerations for employers in Ireland. So we thought it might be helpful to look at the key concepts and anticipate some of the most common questions that arise for employers. So we're going to look at a few issues. First, we're going to look at the pay transparency directive, we're then going to look at the corporate sustainability reporting and Sustainability Due Diligence Directives. We'll take a little look at the National Living Wage. And finally, we will touch on the EU Gender Balance on Boards Directive. Okay, so diving straight into the first topic, Kira, can you unpack ESG for us and tell us what's it all about?
1: Yes, of course. Many listeners will no doubt be aware of the meaning of ESG considerations. However, it is interesting that these concepts have actually been around for quite some time. In 2000, Kofi Annan, former Secretary General of the United Nations, created the UN Global Compact to promote corporate sensitivity in labour, human rights, anti-corruption and the environment. The goal was to encourage companies to think about their impact on society and the environment. In 2004, Annan promoted a global compact initiative which sought to include social and corporate governance into capital markets. This initiative produced a report which explains how sustainable investing benefits both companies and investors alike. The ESG movement sprang from these efforts. In short, what was originally tied to responsible investing has become an approach to business that provides a broad metric for judging organisations on a host of topics related to doing the right thing. ESG is quickly becoming a priority for our international clients and as new complex areas of employment law emerge, it's clear that firms need to adapt quickly in order to ensure that they are complying with new legislation and standards that impact their people. But what does this actually mean in practice? Well, there are three key ESG principles environmental, social, and governance considerations. To break this down, firstly, we'll discuss environmental factors, and this includes, for example, considering the energy a company uses, the waste it produces, and the human impact of energy use, including carbon emissions. Sustainable investment means understanding these environmental impacts and working as a business to reduce any negative environmental impacts. Secondly, we'll consider social factors, including labor relations, inclusion efforts, and management and employee diversity. And then finally, the G stands for governance, as it's clear that commitment to sustainable investing must come from the top down. All three ESG principles are intertwined, and a company must practice all three in order to be considered an ESG company.
0: Okay. That's extremely clear. Let's look at how all of those principles apply to the field of employment law. Can you just tell us a little bit more about that?
1: Yes, absolutely. Many employers will already be aware of these concepts, as we've said, and have been incorporating the considerations into day-to-day management of their business for a number of years at this stage to ensure that they're driving healthy organizational culture, promoting responsible and appropriate behaviors and decision-making practices like measuring diversity and inclusion, reporting on gender pay gap and preparing for the pay transparency regulation all fall under the umbrella of ESG considerations. In recent years, the diversity and inclusion practices of businesses have attracted widespread media attention and such policies play a key role in not only attracting skilled candidates, but retaining existing talent within a business. An inclusive culture, should be central to the business strategy of any business striving to achieve and maintain well-rounded ESG credentials. Any business seeking to advance an effective ESG program must focus on its people and its practices around recruitment, retention, reward, performance and conduct. It's also important for employers to drive a culture of anti-retaliation protection, transparency and remediation where issues of concern are reported using whistleblowing or other workplace policies. And this is something we're seeing arise more and more in practice in recent years. Employees are more aware of whistleblowing legislation and are utilizing same to raise concerns that they may have in respect to the workplace.
0: That's great. Thanks, Kira. And just a quick explanatory note, as most of the ESG initiatives and principles that you've just mentioned flow from EU directives. So EU directives are implemented at EU level, and they generally then rely on domestic legislation to be incorporated or transposed into national law. And there's usually a lead-in time for member states to adapt or create new laws to transpose the obligations in a directive. And we'll be coming back to that in a moment. First of all, let's look at the first directive that's up, the Pay Transparency Directive. Tell us a little bit about this, Kira.
1: The aim of this EU directive is part of a wider EU strategy seeking to tackle concerns about the enforcement of the principle of equal pay between men and women by eliminating pay secrecy, promoting transparency in pay settings, and career progression and strengthening enforcement mechanisms. There are three core measures provided for in the directive. Firstly, implementing public reporting measures, which is relevant for larger companies, creating new information rights, which is for everyone, and refreshing the concepts of the equal pay regime.
0: Quite a lot for employers to do. What is the deadline on this in terms of implementation? The 7th of June,
1: 2026, has been confirmed as the deadline for the directive to be transposed into Irish law. However, Ireland is ahead of the curve in a sense, as we have had mandatory pay gap reporting since last year, albeit that these obligations only apply to certain employers. There are, however, some new requirements introduced by the new directive that will require further legislation in Ireland. Firstly, as many listeners will know, Irish gender pay gap reporting legislation currently requires that data be presented based on gender with their being no additional legal requirement to break down that data into different areas of the business. The directive, however, requires employers to report on the gender pay gap between categories of workers, broken down by basic and variable pay, for example, between different departments or teams working in a company. This additional data does not need to be made publicly available, but it must be provided to employees. Secondly, it's also worth noting that currently, if an Irish employer's data reveals a gender pay gap, the employer must publish a statement setting out the reasons in its opinion for the differences that relate to gender and the measures it is taking or will take to remedy the difference. Under the directive where there is a gender pay gap of 5% or more between any category of worker, and this cannot be objectively justified on a gender neutral basis, the more onerous joint pay assessment procedure will be triggered. This procedure requires an employer to carry out a detailed analysis of all categories of workers, set out measures to address unjustified differences, and report on the effectiveness of any previous measures taken. The directive also creates a range of new obligations for employers of all sizes that are aimed at eliminating pay and progression secrecy in the workplace. For example employers will need to provide pay transparency prior to employment employers will need to use gender neutral descriptions of the criteria used to determine pay levels and career progression for employees employees will now also have a right to request an information breakdown including individual pay level and average pay level broken down by gender for categories the directive also notably requires eu member states to remove the requirement to identify a real comparator when bringing an equal pay claim.
0: Okay, thanks. We certainly will, will need that time until 2026 to be ready to implement that. In addition to the Pay Transparency Directive, there are two other EU directives that are worth flagging for employers concerned about or have a curiosity about ESG principles and their applicability to people and HR matters. So firstly, the Corporate Sustainability Reporting Directive. This arises from the European Green Deal's climate change action objectives, and they aim to further enhance the disclosure by companies on climate and environmental data. This is an EU directive that requires in-scope companies to report quite extensively on sustainability information in a dedicated section of their annual reports. So the new rules will ensure that investors and other stakeholders have access to the information they need to assess risks arising from climate change and other sustainability issues. And it will also create a culture of transparency about the impact of companies on people and the environment. So this will be accessible to all, including people who are candidates and potentially looking at joining your organization and being your next generation of talent. This directive, which I'm calling the CSRD, will require reporting of sustainability information about in-scope companies across all three ESG areas. Reporting will require a limited assurance audit at the outset, but it is expected that the EU will in time require in-scope companies to conduct a full reasonable assurance audit. The CSRD replaces the non-financial reporting directive, which applied to public companies and regulated firms in Ireland with more than 500 employees. Preparing for the CSRD will require input from many stakeholders across the business. Such sustainability reporting will typically sit within the financial function of a business, or it may actually straddle across finance, sustainability, and other areas, including HR teams. The new reporting obligations will involve new duties and responsibilities for chief risk officers, chief financial officers, and employees will need to be adequately trained and equipped in order to cope with these new requirements. The EU member states must transpose the CSRD international law by the 6th of July 2024, and Irish implementing legislation is expected to be published by the end of this year. One other directive that I think is worth mentioning, but that is still at the proposal and negotiation stage at an EU level, is the Directive on Corporate Sustainability Due Diligence. This proposed directive will oblige companies within scope to monitor their chain of activities to identify and mitigate adverse human rights and environmental impacts arising from their operations, and that will apply across their subsidiaries and their whole chain of activities. This directive is proposed to apply to large EU and non-EU companies that meet the threshold employee headcount or that meet average net turnover thresholds for the previous financial year. The definition of large is yet to be decided upon and the current proposal is that companies with a 500 plus headcount will be in scope this is subject to change, but the directive is intended to impose due diligence obligations on in-scope companies to, as I mentioned, identify, prevent, mitigate, and account for adverse human rights and environmental impacts from the company's own operations. Employers will therefore need to ensure that they will have policies in place explaining clearly what is required for employees to discharge their obligations in this regard. And that obviously means that there will need to be a, a framework which will include training as part of that in order to ensure compliance in due course. The directive also provides that the directors of the in-scope company will need to take human rights and climate change impacts into account when they are fulfilling their duties to act in the best interests of the company. Finally, in-scope companies will need to establish complaints procedures to address complaints from individuals affected by, or who have reasonable grounds to believe that they may be affected by, One of those adverse impacts that we just talked about. And so those are the adverse human rights or environmental impacts arising from the company's operations, including its subsidiaries and across its chain of activities. Definitely, we need to watch this space, and it's expected to come into force at an EU level as a directive at some point next year. Okay, let's turn to our final topic on our whistle stop tour of ESG. Kira, do you want to talk a little bit about the national living wage for employees in Ireland?
1: Yes, absolutely. In November 2022, the Minister for Enterprise, Trade and Employment announced the introduction of the National Living Wage Initiative the national living wage will be set at 60% of hourly median wages in line with the recommendations that came from the Low Pay Commission. This is to be introduced over a four year period with the objective of being in place by 2026, at which point the national living wage will replace the current national minimum wage. So the first step was to increase the national minimum wage from 1st January 2023 to €11.30 per hour, And this is increasing to €12.70 from 1st January 2024. Over the next few years, there will be gradual annual increases to the national minimum wage until it reaches 60% of the hourly median earnings. For 2023-2024, it has been estimated that 60% of the median earnings would equate to approximately €14.80 per hour. There's still a clear gap between where we are and the point that we need to reach. Employers will need to be aware that If the increase to the national minimum wage and subsequently the national living wage will impact employees in their organization, an employer will need to update each employee's terms of employment by issuing a side letter to the employees to have them review, sign and return.
0: Thanks, Kira. That's great. Turning now to another pillar of ESG, which is diversity and inclusion. Can you tell us a little bit more about the gender balance on corporate boards directive?
1: Yes, no problem. The EU gender balance on boards directive came into force on the 27th of December, 2022. The directive aims to improve gender balance on corporate boards of listed companies in the EU. The key provisions of the directive include a target of 40% female representation on non-executive boards and 33% of all directors of large listed EU companies by 30th of June, 2026. Companies will be required to make appointments, appointments, on the basis of a comparative analysis of qualifications of candidates by applying clear unambiguous and gender neutral criteria companies must ensure that applicants are assessed objectively based on their individual merits irrespective of gender it's worth noting that it is only when two candidates are equally qualified that the choice should be made in favor of the underrepresented gender The directive must be transposed into Irish law by the 28th of December, 2024, and companies failing to meet the objective of the directive, once it is transposed into Irish law, must report the reasons for their failure and measures being taken to address the shortcoming. Introducing initiatives to increase gender diversity in addressing the imbalance is something businesses could be doing now in order to ensure they are in good shape by this time next year.
0: That's great. Thanks, Kira. That completes our whistle-stop tour of ESG principles for employers in Ireland. Thank you for listening to the Maples Group Employment Law Podcast. If you have any questions or queries on any of the points covered today or on Irish employment law issues in general, please do get in touch with us. Thank you very much to those listeners who have got in touch and have given us great feedback. We look forward to covering some of the topics that have been suggested in future podcasts. Thanks for listening and subscribing.